Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day, but I really want to emphasize this is your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask your questions, voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind. You can speak with the Premier one-on-one, but please keep it short and please keep it respectful. Quick housekeeping item today before we get underway. Your province, your Premier is not being broadcast on Ched Edmonton because that station is committed to airing an early start time Edmonton Oilers game. So for Ched listeners who would rather listen to this show, you'll have to go online to 770chqr.com. The regular Edmonton phone lines will be working, though, so all callers can still join that show. And, of course, we welcome your texts as well. Premier Smith, welcome back. Let's get right to it. Hello, Wayne. Nice to see you again. Yes, you too. A new abacus poll, healthcare, orphan wells. That's what's on my agenda today before we head to those text and phone lines to hear what our listeners want to talk about. Your pilot project to clean up Orphan Wells is getting some flack. Now, my understanding is the pilot project would grant $100 million in royalty credits to those energy companies to clean up these old wells. Now, by definition, and generally speaking, an orphan well or gas uh, oil or, or gas well is is one that's been abandoned by now defunct companies. So these wells, which may be causing environmental damage because they haven't been properly sealed, were not drilled by those companies that are still in business. Reports say there's about ten thousand orphan wells in Alberta and Saskatchewan, with another ninety thousand sitting idle. And by the way, in the U.S., uh, the numbers I've heard are somewhere around two point one million. So this is a huge problem everywhere. So I'm going to take both sides. Is it fair to force companies that are still in business to pay for the cleanup of another company's wells? And as I understand, that's what companies are currently obligated to do when their own wells are being shut down. Are they following through? Do their security deposits, I call them damage deposits, uh, do they need to be higher? On the other hand, is it fair to ask taxpayers to pay, which is essentially what your program would do? And then there's the fly in the ointment. The NDP says you lobbied for an oil well cleanup bailout program before you re-entered politics and made it a government priority once elected. And that party is now questioning whether your campaign fundraising has affected your governing priorities. In other words, they're saying, is this a program to politically repay campaign donors? So there you have it. That's my long preamble question, as usual. That is a long question. It and is. They'll have a, a long answer, and I don't too. And I don't want my, my listeners to pose questions in that matter. You know what? <laughs> and it's perfectly fine. There's a lot that I've, I've got to address yeah. there. One of the things I would say is that a, a part of, the, I think, the inspiration for this program came from the fact that the federal government came through with a billion-dollar subsidy for well site recovery. They called it the Site Rehabilitation Program. And it was really well received by the industry. We have a number of environmental companies, service companies that really amped up their ability to abandon wells, became more efficient at it. And we had great success with that. And so what I'm worried about with that that funding coming to an end is how do we maintain that momentum? How do we make sure that we don't lose all of that incredible learning in the in the service industry for how we do these kind of abandonments? And so one of the things that the government's doing is we're going to have a mandatory amount of well site cleanup that every company has to do. I believe it's 3% being phased in. And they're going to have to do that as just part of regulatory compliance. Now, how do we 
enforce that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, a, a, I mean, we'll work on the enforcement mechanisms. I'll have to talk a little bit more with Pete. I'm, I'm, going, to, to, uh, I'm going to proceed with the fact that the industry is on board with tackling this problem. Now, here's the thing that I discovered with the site rehabilitation program, though, is that the worst wells in Alberta were not the ones that were being prioritized to pay. And you, you have to remember, I entered into public life as a landowner advocate in 1997 as the, at the Canadian Property Rights Research Institute. So I, I heard, I've heard for 25 years about the problems of getting sure. some of these really bad well sites cleaned up. And we have a number of uh, flare pits are the biggest one. These are sort of uh, pools of water where they used to just throw in materials. And they've been sitting there in some cases, 40, 50, 60 years. Part of the reason they don't get cleaned up is it's a huge environmental liability expense. And companies are worried that they're not going to be able to get the sign off on it. And so, as I understand it, there's 4,300 of these sites across the province. and well, the, the worst of the, uh, the worst. The worst of the worst. Of so okay. we, uh, we felt we needed to have, in addition to a mandate on companies that you've got to clean up a certain percentage of your wells every single year going forward. We also felt like we needed to have a particular attention paid to the very worst wells. Because I'll, I'll tell you from a landowner perspective, you've got landowners who are looking at who is going to be left holding the bag in the end if this liability just keeps getting pushed forward decade after decade, year yeah, after year. Because you've got the, the environmental damage, you've got potential uh, groundwater leaks. Uh, Completely. Uh, methane, all this, all this kind of stuff. Completely. And imagine yeah. if you're a, a landowner or owning a property that has a potential million-dollar liability cleanup, and now you're going to go sell that property, yeah. that's going to be factored in to whether or not somebody wants to take that on. And if it hasn't been cleaned up for 60 years, a buyer would have to think, hmm, is it ever going to be cleaned up? I want to eliminate that risk for okay. landowners. I think that that's part of my responsibility because I've been so... F- the reason I advocated for this program when I first heard about it was because I feel so passionately about landowner rights. I feel so passionately that this has been a long-term problem. No one's ever found a way to, to address it. The uh, site rehabilitation program that was subsidized by the federal government was a good start, but it didn't deal with this particular problem. So we're going to try it as a pilot project, I hope. Okay. It still has to go through caucus, still now, has to go yeah. through cabinet. Now, the, 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 the critics say that it's only going to benefit, you know, four or five major players, and those are the ones who you know, uh, allegedly helped uh, with your campaign. Don't no, you? no, no, that's not the case. Because we're targeting it so closely on the worst wells, it, we're, we're looking at sites that, for instance, have been inactive for 20 years and that have uh, been, that were drilled prior to 1990. So these are kind of the worst of the, of the worst sites. And when you think about it, how many companies do you know of from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s that are still around today. What, what has happened is that the polluter who created the problem is, is, no not, around. is not around yeah. anymore. And yet these liabilities kept on getting carried forward along with producing assets. And, and now we're left with somebody holding the bag who may not have been responsible for the initial liability. We, haven't, we have regulators who allowed for those transfers to occur. We had regulators in the past who didn't require cleanup. We had regulators in the past who signed off on some of sure. these practices. And so I think the regulators, uh, that we have to take a bit of responsibility as government for the fact that we didn't manage it the way we should have historically. This is a historical problem. Is so this let's pilot project uh, a, a Ralph Klein trial balloon? It's a I, I hope we can actually trial it okay. to see if it works. I want to see if the industry um, uh, lines up to, to do this work. I want to I want to see if the if we've got support from the service companies and the environmental companies that'll be doing the work. And I, I want to see uh, if the landowners support it because because uh, we're going to create a process where landowners are going to be able to nominate the site so that we don't miss any. We want to we want to make sure if there's a particular site that's been abandoned for a long time or, or, or inactive for a long time that's causing real problems to an, a landowner's operations. We want to be able to elevate that so that it. Can can be it can be repaired so they can get back to managing their land the way they want to without that interference all right one quick question before we hit 
to the uh, phones and text lines. Uh, healthcare. This is one of three issues uh, that matter most to Albertans, according to a recent poll. We'll get to that uh, throughout the show. You and the other premiers met with Prime Minister Trudeau earlier this week to address the funding offer. Alberta share about $518 million, most of which won't come with strings attached, as I understand. I think that was probably a bit of a concern heading into the talks. So do you take the money and run, so to speak, or do you say, nice try, Mr. Prime Minister, it's not enough? How close are you to reaching an agreement? You know, I entered into this um, because it had already been an active discussion from the premiers for two and a half years. And I just want people to understand why the why the premiers were disappointed. They've been advocating for a year-over-year increase of new money of $28 billion. And it looks like there's a year-over-year increase of new money at somewhere in the order of $8.7 billion. Um, that's my calculation. Some of the other premiers think it's less. So it, it, it really is a, a, a less than a third of what it is that they were asking for. And so the prime minister has been saying that he wanted to transform health care for a, a generation. And, and quite frankly, they're really just maintaining the level of funding that they've had historically, which is about 20 percent of so our are, overall are cost. Are we close to signing off? The, you know what? I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. I, I don't want to diminish that Alberta's share is going to be $518 million. And we can do a lot of good with that. My uh, my health minister has an ambitious plan to be investing in home care and continuing care. We want to make sure that we're uh, investing further in mental health and addiction, in particular for our adolescent community, which is a priority for the federal government as well. There's a special fund for Indigenous health care, which is really important because our Indigenous communities want to build long-term care and acute care as well as mental health and addiction facilities on reserve and we will be able to partner and assist them with that okay. so i i think that we can we can make some really good strides with the dollars that are on the table but i wanted people to understand that the of course the premiers were hoping that the federal government would want to to be an equal funding partner it started out healthcare started out that way 50 50 funding arrangement they're now down to 20 percent. Right. so we've got to continue on with our reforms with, uh, with our own resources, and we're going to do that. That's why I started out on an ambitious reform agenda as soon as I got elected, as I knew that we needed to move, regardless of whether or not the federal government came to the table. All right. Enough for you and me, because it's not what the show is about. It's uh, about callers. I want to take one quick call. We're running a little bit behind in terms of uh, where we need to take our breaks. Steve, uh, good morning. You're on with uh, Premier Danielle Smith. Please keep it short, because I'd like to uh, get, get on time. You said half a billion dollars would do a lot of good, but the city of Calgary is spending half a billion dollars on 250 buses so the mayor can virtue signal when she goes to conferences. The buses are going to be recharged with natural gas-produced electricity, which we could convert the entire fleet over for a million dollars natural gas, and we'd be up half a billion dollars, which would end half a billion dollars would literally end homelessness on the spot. All so right. if we're going with the hydrogen economy, why are we buying electric buses? I, I have to, thanks. Nice to hear your voice again, Steve. That'll be a question you'll have to ask uh, Mayor Gondak. And I have already put it to the to both the mayors that uh, I think that our future in Alberta is going to be more on the, building out the hydrogen economy. We're already doing some pilot projects. I think there's a the Alberta Motor Transport Association is working on doing some conversions on truck engines so that they can take biodiesel and hydrogen. And I think as we start down that path, there's going to be a lot 
lot of applications for snow plows and graders or garbage trucks for buses. And so I think we've got to get started building out the hydrogen infrastructure, making sure that the that the uh, that our, our partners know that it's going to be a reliable source of energy. And I, I think you'll see that conversion in the future. But your point is taken. I think that that's going to be the uh, I think that's going to be a really important approach that we take in future to, okay. to make sure that we're supporting the economy and also reducing emissions. All right. We're going to pause for that long awaited break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta. Normally, we would be broadcasting on Chad Edmonton today, but that station is committed to airing an early start time Edmonton Oilers game. So for Chad listeners who would rather listen to this show please go online to 770chqr.com. The regular Edmonton phone lines are still working, though, so all callers can still join the show. And on that note, we are going to go from uh, Chris calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Chris. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Oh, good morning. My question is simply this. The taxpayers seem to uh, be on the hook now for these royalty breaks because previous governments didn't ensure that the damage deposits were sufficient or there was no insurance or bonding in place or director's liability wasn't in place. So uh, two questions. Number one, why should the people pay for the previous um, missteps of government? And secondly, is there now adequate damage deposits and insurance or bonding or director's liability in place? Oh, good. You got me on now. Thanks for the question. I guess what I would say is that um, we, we believe that the government's made some of the mistakes that you that you identified in other jurisdictions uh, as i understand it once a bell um, a well has become inactive you have to clean it up within five years so there is a different way to regulate there's no question about it we chose not to and so i i'm looking at i've entered this position now looking that we have got i think a, a, a registered liability on all of the inactive sites of somewhere in the order of 30 billion dollars and so when I looked at the federal government coming in with a billion dollars, um, nobody seemed to have a problem with that. Uh, people thought that was a reasonable amount of money to spend to get this thing kick-started. And I, I just don't want to keep going to the federal government and asking them to bail us out on a problem that we're partially responsible for creating. So I, I think we've got to make sure that we're doing what we can to address the legacy issue. But you're, you're, you're very right. The, the next consultation I would like to do on a go-forward is do we have to get some kind of fund up front when the well is drilled, that follows the fund all the way through to the end of its life so that it is pre-funded, because that's where the big money comes in. It's right in the first couple of years of, dr of drilling a well. And so that's an, an environmental trust type of model. Um, I have had consultations about that. I'm not saying that we're moving on that, but I, I think you and I are thinking in the same direction is that we've got two problems we need to solve. We've got a legacy problem of wells that have been drilled going back all the way to 1947 that haven't been cleaned up. And we've got a future problem that we're continuing to drill wells. And let's make sure that we're not compounding the problem. How do we make sure that there's enough money set aside to ensure that those get cleaned up in the future? Right. So so we're just taking one, one bite at a time. We have a couple of related texts from Jane calling on the, uh, or, or texting us on the uh, QR text line. Jane says, whilst I'm not impressed big companies will get this subsidy, the landowner will ultimately benefit. After we bought a section of farmland, the oil assets changed hands and the new foreign owners refused to honor their commitment to maintaining and cleaning up old sites. We had to threaten court action. 
And she goes on to say in a, in a separate text, selling these dirty sites was a common trick among oil companies, selling problem areas and new owners refusing commitments. The premier needs to address this unethical practice. It's where the problem starts. I, I you know, I, I agree. I, I worry that what happens when some of these deals get put together is that you get a w- bunch of wonderful producing assets packaged up with a bunch of junk. And we've got to make sure that if there are liabilities, that that stays with the, the, indiv- the individual company that created that liability. We can't keep on compounding this problem and pushing it forward. So I have I followed this for 25 years. And so that's why I know that there are, are some big problems that we've got to address here. I think we've started making some strides with the licensee liability rating program that came in a few years ago that, that started to quantify the nature of the problem with this new proposal for that the companies having to have a mandatory amount of spend. That's their own money. Money that they have to spend that's going to be a requirement in law and with this a little additional incremental amount so that we can address some of the the long-term legacy prog- problems of these of the worst sites i, I think we're getting a, in the right direction so. all right uh bev is calling in from Banff. bev's been holding on almost since the start of the show uh good morning bev you're on with premier danielle smith good morning thanks for taking my call <clears throat> excuse me um i was just very very disappointed to see uh the Premier's last comment in Ottawa uh, about Indigenous people and um, other people from around the world coming and building our uh, great country that we have. To me, it was such a slap in the face, about as bad as uh, the comment on marginalized, unvaccinated people are the worst, uh, you know, um, treated people. Uh, it's just, I find it really, really disrespectful, and I'm just wondering, is the Premier willing to apologize and explain that? I'm happy. I'm I'm happy to explain our partnership with First Nations, which I feel very proud of. I think our province has really been a pioneer in our First Nations relationship. This part of the world would not have been opened up if our First Nations partners had had not been willing to trade with us and show us the roots and develop a vibrant industry. We would not have been able to settle here if uh, they hadn't been willing to, to, uh, to sign treaties 6, 7, and 8. Now, there has been a long history of us not living up to the commitments in those treaties. And we are making, I think, historical reparations for the errors that we made. And I, I am going to always affirm that our First Nations are partners. We have to treat them as partners. We, we have to make sure that as we go forward as partners, that they are able to take full participation in all of our economic activity. And I value that partnership. So you will hear me talk a lot about our First Nations partners because I don't want people to forget that history. I want people to understand that this is an equal relationship and we've got to, we've got to, to do our part to make amends for the errors of the past. All right, text message coming in from uh, Edmonton. Please, please, please ask the Premier about the $100 affordability payments because I do not understand and do not know who else to ask. I am on disability, half of which is paid by my employer, half paid by CPP disability. I have to live on less than $2,000 a month, yet I do not qualify for the $100 payment. How is it possible that someone earning under $180,000 does qualify when they clearly would have no problem surviving on that kind of money? This is one of the issues that I ha- uh, that Matt Jones told me he was looking into. P- part of the approach that we took is anyone who is on one of our support programs, 
we were able to use our internal system with Asian income support and seniors benefit so that they didn't have to go on and sign up and they got that automatic support. Um, the CPP disability pension is a federal program. And so I think that there was some difficulty in trying to, to uh, identify those who would be, who, who could, how, and how we could support them. I don't know that we have an answer to that. I, I don't know if uh, my, uh, my comms team is listening normally when I do these, I'll, I'll defer that for uh, another, for, for maybe after the break, just to see if I can get an answer to that question. Cause I know that the affordability minister was looking into it. Cause we want to make sure that those who are most in need are supported, but that was one of the complexities that we were trying to, to handle. The, those who also were able to go online and sign up were those who had children and those who were over age 65, if they, if they were below the income threshold. And, and we wanted to make sure that this was, tar- this was targeted to those most in need. But I, I, I did hear the first time uh, that we were rolling this out that th- those who were on disability uh, benefit at the federal level may have been ones who were, who were excluded. And I, I'll, I'll have to check with my minister to see if he's managed to find a way to solve that. All right, we're going to switch gears. Uh, Michael calling in from Calgary on a Calgary Flame Stadium question. Go ahead, Michael. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, good morning to you both. Uh, my question is, I don't think uh, a province should be supporting uh, NHL organizations that are run by billionaires and millionaires. I think when the city's got a spot downtown in Calgary, for, like for the proposed next stadium, that would be a perfect spot for a new hospital because as the provinces are projected to grow in population, we need new hospitals. <clears throat> so if there's spaces already being set up, for them. I'd like to see a commitment for new hospitals. That's my proposal or question. Well, thanks for your, your comments. I, I mean, I think you can do both. You can support the construction of hospitals and the essential services that governments need to provide. And you can also be a Calgary Flames fan and want to continue to see the Battle of Alberta going. I, I have been very supportive of us trying to find some way that we can assist in getting to a deal between the city and the and the club. And we, um, uh, we are under a non-disclosure agreement as they go through those negotiations. We have not had anyone ask of us anything yet. They're just keeping us apprised of how the conversations are going. And we remain very hopeful that we'll be able to, to keep the team in, in Calgary. I can tell you, I just came back from meeting Premier Francois Legault because he was with the, with the premiers, obviously, with the First Minister's Conference. Right. He is very, very keen, and he let me know to try to recruit a team to come back to Quebec. And <laughs> I do not want to see the, uh, the, 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 the Quebec Flames. I can tell you that much. So we've got to make sure that we do what we can to keep that team here. Yeah, the, the Nordiques left for a reason. Yeah. Uh, text message. Premier, you are lying again. Federal government pays way more than 20%. This is in regards to health care. Uh, you, sir, need to hold her accountable. A reference to me. So uh, I've asked a question. There's the text. Uh, your response, Premier Smith. That the federal government will argue that because they transferred tax points all the way back in 1977, that they are giving about 30% of the uh, of the overall amount of, of funding. I guess I look at it a little bit differently because my personal view would be that the federal government is overtaxing. It's very clear that they are. And this is part of the issue that we're facing. We're facing accelerating costs and they're facing accelerating revenues because they overtax. I'd be more than happy if they would transfer more tax points to us so we had all the money that we needed to be able to fund health care. But because they won't do that, then we need to make sure that as uh, our, our costs accelerate, that they've got to be able to match that. And so they, they will say because of the combination of tax points and cash transfers, it's somewhere in the order of 31%, 32%. We will say that it's more in the order of 20%. And I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. All right. Uh, while we're still on health care... A whole bunch of other uh, text 
messages on health care. First one, why are we forced to use digital ID in order to get that $100 per month? Is that the first step for the feds to get our private health care data? Absolutely not. And I, sh- I should make that very clear because I know that there are a number of groups out there very concerned about that. And and I, I want to acknowledge that I've heard those concerns, but we you need to, you need to know that none of the premiers will be uh, at all on board with transferring private health medical information to the federal government. In fact, our legislation does not allow us to do that. We cannot hand over patient records to another order of government. We can hand over macro data to the Canadian Institute for Health Information. We do that all the time. We have lots of publicly available data so that people can look at broad trends, but there is no personal individualized health data that will go to the federal government. When it comes to creating digital services, I I think that that's an obligation on us as a a government. We have to make sure that we have a wide array array, array of digital services to make sure that people have access to whether it's payments or whether it's um, being able to go to the registries, being able to pay fines. People are asking us for more and more convenience, uh, but we have to make sure that people understand that your private information is yours and we have rules around how we can share it. we are not we are not signing on to any kind of uh, federal digital ID. There was a similar concern expressed on Shay Ganim's show. I believe it was yesterday. Uh, caller uh, made a similar statement, and the issue, I, I as I understand it, is that let's say a patient comes in at two o'clock in the morning and their doctor can't be reached with this system. And maybe I'm, I'm confusing things here, but with this system, at least the doctor in the hospital would have access to the patient's medical records. Well, I want to make sure that people understand that there's a difference between having an electronic health record and, and the, the digital kind of, ID. And the kind of digital ID yes. that, the, that, that okay. folks are worried about. Because I, I think that there is a, a concern that we're just going to hand over private information to the federal government. And that's not the and case. And that they're going to be digging into people's personal health histories. And, and we don't want that to happen. We can't allow that to happen. And it's against the law for that to happen. But having an electronic health record is something we've been working on, I think, for over 25 years in this province. Sure. And, and let's say you're in a car accident in Toronto. You live in Edmonton or Calgary. A doctor in Toronto would be able then to have access to your health records to determine whether you have uh, any allergic reactions to medications, what your background history would be, to the benefit of the patient. But that's not even what the federal government is asking for, really. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what they're asking us for. Um, they're asking for us to give statistics on how many kids aged 12 to 25 have access to uh, mental health and addiction treatment programs. They're asking for us to, uh, to, to quantify how many um, surgeries. Are we, have, we, have we been able to clear the surgical backlog that increased because of COVID? And I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to report that, uh, and I mentioned this in our press conference, that we are back to pre-COVID levels of surgical backlog. So, you know, mission accomplished there. They, they, wanted to, they want us to, uh, to, they want to ask us how many of our patients have access to a family doctor. That one's going to be a little bit tricky for us to be able to find a measure for, because right now we don't collect any data on whether or not somebody has a medical home or family doctor but i think we should know that so general statistical general statistical information so it isn't it is not getting down to individual patient files at all all right don calling in from edmonton don thank you for choosing to listen to us instead of the oilers uh pregame uh you're on with premier danielle smith hi there uh danielle's premier smith um my question is is about um this uh 15 minute city thing that's coming in I don't think people realize what it is. Like uh, there's Toefield, one of the counties up north of Edmonton, tried to implement it. But 
it just there's really weird stuff in there and i also have property in edmonton and it's they want to replace all the sidewalks to make them wider for bicycle lanes and it's going to cost the average uh homeowner between i don't know three and seven thousand depending on how much sidewalk you have some people if they got a corner lot it might be more but it's just like have any but has anybody actually read this stuff like you can go to the Toefield um county website you can read what they tried to put through but you can't have trees you can only have four trees or five trees, and they can't be more than four feet tall. And if you have a rural property, you have to get a permit to put up a barbed wire fence. You can't put up a chain link fence. You, um, it's just the whole thing is just seems like insanity. If you got a building that's sitting empty, land or grain facility thing, it can't sit more than em- empty for more than six months. Otherwise, it has to be removed from the property. Like, it, and this the company sent this off to India to have it done. Like, I, I just don't get it. Like, it, it, it's, the more, it, it's like something out of a sci-fi movie or something. It just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So, I don't know. I, and I got my bill for my sidewalk replacement because I want to make it wider for bicycles in Edmonton. So, I don't know if it's coming to Calgary soon, but there's a number of uh, counties that have signed up. Apparently, they have to put in $100,000, and then they can get some, some prize at the end if they can do it con- whoever does it the best gets some prize or whatever it is all right premier danielle smith can shed some light on this hopefully yeah don thanks for that i i have asked my municipal affairs minister rebecca schultz to look into that and if for those who live in big cities they won't be maybe surprised by some of the restrictions that you put in it must be a bit of a shocker uh, living in a smaller town though because the, the these this is kind of a standard language she tells me in some of the the land use bylaws that you have in the larger cities and we do give municipalities to make this uh, authority under the act now maybe we need to put some more guideposts around that I'm, I'm 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 hearing you that there's a concern but if i understand what's happening in particular in thorhill they've got they've heard you loud and clear and they are apparently calling a special meeting to stop the second reading of their bylaw the rma the rural municipalities association is also getting calls and they're and so they're concerned too so i think that perhaps applying this kind of framework in a smaller town environment it sounds like it's inappropriate and people have been responding that way the the concept of a 15-minute city I, I mean i'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means because if the notion is that you should be able to have a grocery store and an outdoor rink and maybe a swimming pools within 15 minutes of your home that's actually a pretty positive vision because i, I think for a lot of of, uh, of development over the years we've been building out communities that don't have all of those amenities in the outlying areas if that's what it's about then i think we can get on board with it but if it's about telling people you can only stay in your community and only travel within 15 minutes of your home i can see why people are pushing back on it i i think we should try to keep an open mind on this all right that uh, that i think that our, our municipalities are trying to balance a lot of of, of of competing interests and if this results in better more vibrant robust communities with more amenities closer to home then it could be positive uh, i'm watching it but uh, I, I haven't made judgment yet what's the prize what's the prize what's the prize yeah our, our caller said that there was some kind of a prize for these communities <laughs> so, i don't know if there's a prize we'll have to check i'm gonna that. don you'll have to send uh, wayne a text so i can look into that all right murray is calling in from medicine hat uh, regarding a solar question murray you're on with premier danielle smith go ahead good morning danielle uh my question is what's being done with in the renewable energy sector so the government or the landowner isn't responsible for reclamation costs if these companies abandon them or you know declare bankruptcy uh i'm just wondering why there isn't uh uh some sort of bond being put up when they're building these so that 
the government doesn't get on the hook for them. I think we could learn from the past with the oil and gas companies with some of these wells that are contaminated. Right on, Murray. I totally agree with you. In uh, the mandate letters that I gave to the ministers responsible, I said we need to have a parity in how we look at doing these kind of abandonments. Because I, as, I, as I mentioned, we've got a registered $30 billion liability because of oil and gas development. But it's the same thing. We're coming to the end of life for some of these wind projects, some of these solar projects. And as I understand it, we don't have uh, recycling available for either of those. So who's on the hook to do the removal if the, if the company doesn't have the money to do it? So I, I think whatever proposal we do on a go forward for future oil and gas development, we've got to make sure that we've got similar proposals for any other type of energy use so that we don't end up with that same problem. So you're, you're right to raise it. I, we don't have policy developed around it yet, but uh, I've asked my ministers to, to actively look into how we can get that parity. All right, you're listening to Your Province, Your Premier. We're going to be coming up for a break here in a couple of minutes. Uh, Premier Smith, I just wanted to touch on the poll that was released by Abacus on Thursday. Gives your UCP a two-point edge over the NDP. Now, you and I are both former members of the media. So we know that polls like these, whether from Abacus, Leger, Ipsos, Enveronics, Gallup, or, or other companies, they come out fairly regularly. And whenever they come out, there's always some headline grabbing. There's also the fairly standard response that the only poll that counts is the one that's on election day. But we have to take a look back at some recent polls uh, that have been fairly accurate harbingers of the, of the uh, final outcome. So what's your take on this poll result? Well... I would say we have a lot of work to still do because uh, I think I think we we did have diminished confidence from the public. It was very clear. We went down as low as 31% in the polls and with the NDP at 52. So I'm pleased to see that um, Albertans are willing to give us a chance. Uh, they are seeing some positive signs that we're moving in a different direction. I think they're liking some of the policies that they're seeing. Uh, but that only brings us to even. And in fact, the NDP in that poll shows that they're still two points ahead of us in Calgary. So... Uh, uh, the NDP are polling um, sort of Very massive strong. majorities yeah. in Edmonton. We're polling kind of massive majorities in rural Alberta. But the battleground is going to be Calgary. And I don't want to take for granted that we we have addressed all the problems that Calgarians are concerned about. We, we, we absolutely did diminish confidence. But we've got some strong, strong ministers representing this city. We've got Matt Jones, who's done incredible work on the affordability and utilities file. Rebecca Schultz, our municipal affairs minister. We... Uh, we have Sonia Savage, who's just doing such a tremendous job for us as Environment Minister, and Jason Copping, our Health Minister, Tyler Shandro, Justice Minister, Mike Ellis, doing some great work on public safety. I just want to make sure all those guys get reelected because they're such a strong team. And so I think as, as people see more and more the kind of latitude I've given to my cabinet to go out, identify problems, and really dig into them and solve, the, solve them and lead the file, I think that's going to increase confidence. So I want to see, make sure we do closed, more of that. When you get behind closed doors uh, with your cabinet... Uh, uh, do you use the polls to focus on where you need to improve? You can say, hey, team, look, we're making some headway here, but the polls are showing we're weak and we need to make some progress here. I'll tell you what I do look at. I, I look at the issues polling is do people trust us on different issues? And people absolutely trust us on jobs and economy. They know that if they reelect the UCP government, we're going to continue to create a business environment that will attract business. We just got an A minus, which is the highest score in the country on our red tape reduction. Dale Nally is doing terrific work there. We have 
30, 21,000 jobs that were announced this month. So we're, I think we're up to over 230,000 jobs we've created over the, the this the last period of time. We're continuing to have people come into our province in record numbers. People know that that will continue under the UCP. The other thing I was looking at was healthcare. I mean, healthcare is not normally an area where conservatives uh, tread into because it, there, it, it really is, um, it, it unsettles people when you try to make health reform changes because if you make mistakes, it can have catastrophic outcomes. Uh, consequences. But I have to tell you, when I came in, hearing about 29-hour waits in emergency rooms and lineups of 14 ambulances at hospitals and people not being able to have family doctors, I knew we had to do something on that. So I was delighted to see that we're increasingly developing confidence from sure. the public in our handling of health care. So that's what I look at is, are we doing things that are going to increase the public's confidence that they should give us a mandate to continue? And those are the, those are the numbers that I think are going in the right direction. Okay. You are listening to Your Province, Your Premier. Uh, we are inviting callers from Edmonton to phone in. The show is not being broadcast there today because the Oilers game, but you can still call in if you want to listen to the show, 770chqr.com. Uh, for our other callers, of course, in Calgary area, Southern Alberta, 403-974-8255. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on your province, your premier, your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you have a specific question you'd like the premier to answer, we're going to try to get to everybody. The phone lines are loaded. The text messages are blowing up. And for those people who are uh, listening from CHED, they will be listening online because the uh, regular on-air broadcast is being taken over by the Oilers game. But we are still taking their phone calls. All right, let's go to uh, Keith calling from Troshu. Uh, good morning, Keith. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hello. My question is, is the Premier's office going to get involved with the resource companies that aren't paying the landowners their surface rent payments? They've arbitrarily reduced them, and it's like pulling hen's teeth to get anything done to uh, get this, this money out of them that we're, we're owed. We've signed contracts, legally binding contracts, and... These companies are allowed to just thumb their nose at the landowners, not pay them. Um, there's people met with Rebecca Schultz yesterday and Bill McAllister, and they said they're not going to do nothing, at least till after the next election. And we've got no recourse. Hmm. And the thing is, is that these contracts, we either signed them, negotiated our best deal, or the, or the resource company goes to the, to the surface rights board and gets the right of entry. So either way, we're hung with these wells, and we can't get paid for them. And they have a, we've got a terrible risk on our land. You're totally if we right. Hit one, if we hit one, it's 100000 bucks out the window just, just to fix the well, which you're not supposed to hit them. I get it. But accidents happen. We run the risk of disease coming on our land from their, their traffic coming from wells to, or from the, uh, other land. Yeah, other land. And here we are, and they're just holding the money back, and there's nothing you can do. Keith, are they like still... I, are I they sent still... in form after form to the surface rights board. Yeah, totally. There's some stuff that's four years old, and you don't you don't even get a damn reply. Nobody will pick up the bloody phone and talk to you. Keith, before I let you go, are these active producing wells, or are they are Yes, they, they are. Suspended? They're active. Yeah, they're okay. Active. Could, We've could... got two really bad actors. Ember Resources and Lynx are the other two, and now Pinecliff and a host of others have started pulling the same crap on us. Well, I know it sounds like a first-world problem to the to the people in the cities listening to this. 
No, but, it's a big problem. And uh, thank you. I've written down the names of the companies that you mentioned, so I will definitely be following up with our energy minister. This is Talk a, to Nathan Cooper. I we'll had do. a meeting with him yesterday. Yeah, we will do. Um, send a, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, if there are other companies I need to know about, send, send an email to premier at gov.ab.ca, and I'll make sure that we can follow up on this, because you're, you're completely right. I mean, I, 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 part of the issue that we want to start addressing in, in providing this um, this credit that we were talking about is no one will qualify for it if they have outstanding taxes that they owe to a municipality or outstanding payments that they owe to a, a landowner. So we're trying to use a bit of a carrot and stick there. If you want us to assist in helping to address these worst wells, then you've got to make sure that you're up to date on your liability. So that's one part of what we're how we're trying to enter into this conversation. But the last time I had heard a number around this, I think we were out $250 million in liability um, on what was owed to landowners and about the same amount to municipalities. I'm, I'm sad to hear that this has not been addressed because we've seen over the last year and a half, of course, that companies are doing much, much better than they have historically on the revenue side. So let me take that away because I agree with you. We, we, we have to make sure that our, our energy companies are meeting their commitments for all of the liability that they have, and that includes the surface rights payments. All right, back to the tax lines. When will the Premier address issues and delays of drugs approved by Health Canada delayed by province. You know, I, I, I talked to an MP when I was in Ottawa who raised this issue with me as well. And this has been an historic problem. I, when I was on the air, I, I tried to identify some of these brand new treatments and rare drug treatments that were approved by Health Canada because I, I knew that there was some delays in getting it onto the formulary. Um, I will. So I've got a couple of, of, of examples of that. And I just got back, as I mentioned, from, from Ottawa. So I'll, I'll be talking with our health minister to see how we would be able to bridge that gap. Because it does take longer for Health Canada to make their own approvals. And so it seems to me they've done their due diligence. They've done their due diligence and have said that this is the best treatment. We should be putting that onto our formulary, our formulary here so that it's covered. All right. Barry is uh, texted in, said he can't call anyone and would like to know why when we were approved on the application, the affordability application, we have not seen the $200 for my wife uh, and completed and approved. Can't reach anybody. He's very frustrated. Well, uh, I'll tell you a couple of the things that we heard. 99% of the payments went through without a problem. The ones that didn't go through, there was an error in uh, uh, adding some information for the bank accounts. That's uh, the information that I got before I came on there because I wanted to see if there were any problems. So let me... Um, let me see if I can get a troubleshooting line for how you might be able to get somebody who can address that because others had the same issue and they've managed to, to get it resolved. So I'm just uh, monitoring my texts as they come in to see if one of my comms team gets me an answer to that before we're done today. All right. Uh, Jonna is calling in from, uh, I'm not sure where she's calling in, but uh, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning. Um, I'm calling in from the Hill Spring Mountain View area. Premier, I'm not sure if you're if you heard about this yet, but there's a large turbine project, Ripplinger Wind Turbine Project, that's supposed to be going in our area, and it is massive. We are very concerned down here about what it's going to do to not only the wildlife, but our views of the mountains here. Uh, it seems like there hasn't been much consultation done on this project. Have you heard of it? I I don't believe I have. I have heard of some controversy around certain wind projects. I'm not sure if I've heard about this one in particular. Where is it at in the process? Have you gone through hearings? Oh, sorry. I, uh, oh, sorry. You know what? Again, just go to a, a premier at gov.ab.ca so that it goes into my inbox and I'll, I'll uh, see if I can get an answer for you once my, com once my uh, policy team has a chance to look at it. A uh, quick couple of text messages. 
First, uh, when will students be able to apply for the affordability payments? Many have to have jobs while in school full-time. Many are stressed and unable to afford a lot of things. We're looking at, at different ways that we can support students and recent grads, and I believe that my advanced education minister will have more to say on that next week. I don't want to preclude his announcement. We've gone through some discussions at, uh, at, at Cabinet. We still have to go through some discussions at caucus, but they'll, I, I believe there'll be announcement next week. All right, uh, back to the phones. And uh, Mark has been holding on for some time. Um, Mark is calling in from BC, yeah, it looks yeah, like. Premier. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, thank you, Premier. How are you doing? I want to give you some glory. You are an absolute game changer to Canada. I want to tell you that I feel you're a voice. I'm from BC. I'm a trucker. Um, you're a voice not just for Alberta, but for Canada. And I don't want you to get dragged down by the leftist uh, body politic minutia. This is what they're going to try to do to you, is drag you down with nonsense conversations about ridiculous scandals. I hope you will keep a clear head, keep a clear vision, stay strong, be fierce like Trump, because I'll tell you, this country needs you now more than ever. And uh, I think what you're doing so far is excellent. I mean, your team, what, other, what other premier in history of Canada, I can't even think in the near future, has taken on Ottawa like you have? So I want you to bask in the glory. And if they attack you, you've got to double down against them because the left is, is running all over us in this country, and I'm sick of apologizing for being a conservative in this country. You know, it's either, it's either we stick up for, for, for what we believe is right because, I mean, you know, this, this transition, there's so many things the left are doing that is just, it's, it's just ruining this country, and we all know it. And at least you have a voice. So I hope that you will run for prime minister because your attitude, you've got attitude and you've got the mojo that's getting this done. So don't let them take away your glory. You're the boss now of Alberta. And let's just make this happen just like Trump does, okay? All wow, right, that was a mic drop. I don't no, even know if I was, need to say anymore after exactly. that. I will say this. I have zero interest in running for federal office because <laughs> I spend all my time thinking about how I can stand up for Albertans. And the problem that I think that we've seen is that at federal politics, they spend all their time thinking about how to win votes in Toronto and Montreal. I don't spend much time thinking about that. I, I spend my time thinking that I'm going to push, uh, I'm going to push Justin Trudeau and I hope people saw that I want to be constructive. I want to find areas that we can work together. He, um, he, I, I, I pushed it to him very clearly that we are not phasing out this industry. And he has to stop using just transition language because that's a signal to those on the extreme left that we're going to be shutting down this industry. And we're not going to do that. But uh, and, and he's prepared, I think, to work with us to walk part way. And as long as he's willing to do that, I can work with him. All right. But if he doesn't, then I guarantee you we're going to come down on him like a ton of bricks because resource rights are provincial jurisdiction. And it's my job to stand up for Albertans. I should just say one more thing to you, Wayne. Last On that last question about troubleshooting on affordability payments, I want to give a phone number so I don't know anyone else who's had a problem. I just want to make sure they have time to get a pen. But it's 1-844-644-9955. 1-844-644-9955. And I hope you'll be able to sort that one out. Premier Smith, thanks for joining us again. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. See you we'll, next week. You betcha. We'll do this again same time next week. I'm Wayne Nelson. You have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.